chapter 6, verse 1. One of the things that's going to happen for y'all when you uh, get older and you start working, your employer is going to ask you to volunteer for like charitable causes, serving or just volunteering your time, but... They're going to also ask you to log that and report that to them so that they can turn around and go tell everybody how much their people are volunteering. And you see this a lot, right? Like you see, if you watch, you look around, you watch TV, you look in the magazines, papers, you often see corporations, businesses that are throwing their name behind social causes, right? Or charitable causes or certain certain types of social involvement or activities. Now, why do you think businesses are doing that? Because then everyone knows your name. Every, it's marketing, right? It's just another way of marketing. It's like, go ahead. They'll be uh, known as like a really a company whose employers are very generous. Yeah, they're the good guys, right? They want people to, you know, Ford wants everybody to think, hey, we're the good guys. Look how much good we do for our society. Look how much we contribute and give back. It looks good on paper. It looks good on paper. That's why, like, you see the business, they're making the do donation to, like, the food bank down the street, right? Do they just go slide an envelope under the food bank's door? And, and No. You got to call the press. You got to write a big check. Not numerically big, necessarily, but physically, literally big, right? And hand them the huge check that shows everybody what a generous company you are. It doesn't just look good on paper. I mean, obviously, it's sometimes really sad stories, but it also looks good on TV. It looks good on TV. It's marketing, right? It's, it's, um, it's the guy who says, you know, I'm going to donate a, a bunch of, I'm going to build a new hospital wing. I just want my name on it, right? Like, I, I wanted to be an anonymous donor. I just want everybody to know that that anonymous donor was me. Um, it, it, people, they're seeking the praises of men, right? They're feeding their own vanity, their own pride. I remember Mark Cuban one time talking about how he uh, paid for some couple's wedding, but he didn't want anybody to think that it was some kind of noble thing or some kind of selfless act on his half. He said, I do it because it makes me feel good and it puts me out there. Like he was actually very honest about his motives, about how really it's still just about me. And what we're looking at, well, when you think of those examples, it is the exact opposite of what Jesus is going to teach us about our own motives and what they should be when it comes to doing good, when it comes to living our lives in obedience for him. But what are some of the ways we can be tempted? So I, I doubt you have a million dollars to go build a new hospital wing with, or I doubt you could even afford the paper that the big check is printed on. But what are some ways still that you can be tempted to this very thing? Saying, I move these chairs into position. Yeah, like, you know, you want to help set up chairs on Wednesday night, but you're going to bang them around a little bit and drag them a little extra loud so people notice, like, oh, hey, yeah, I see Elijah over there putting chairs in place. So you could be doing something good, like giving to the church, giving to God, but you could be broadcasting it. Yeah. 
And Jesus is going to talk specifically about that, but that's a great example. Yeah, this is something that we all can relate to. We see it, like what we were talking about a minute ago, that's the big public stage, everybody sees it. But the reality is, this is a struggle for each and every one of us. That same attitude that Jesus is going to very specifically tell us we shouldn't have in living out obedience and in doing the things he calls us to do, it's a temptation for all of us. Even when we do good things, there's always that little piece of pride that creeps up and says, hey, I hope somebody notices how good of a job I'm doing, or I hope somebody notices just how good of a kid I am, or I hope somebody notices just all this work I'm putting into serving the church. No matter how hard we fight it, it is always going to be a struggle. That little piece of pride just always trying to sprout up. It's something we have to fight because it's always coming back. And in Matthew 6, 1 through 4, Jesus is talking about this exact subject. If you could, there's no right answer to this necessarily. There's some wrong answers for sure, but there's not necessarily any one right answer. But how would you perhaps summarize the Sermon on the Mount so far? As we go into chapter 6, how would you summarize chapter 5? Things to do and things and their direct opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would put that in the category of a correct answer. Yeah, what else? How else would you maybe categorize it? Ian, again, you're, improve, you're improving on your first answer. Going after the Pharisees. Yeah, but why? Why was he? Because you could say the Pharisees very often were doing what they were supposed to do and not doing what they weren't supposed to do. do so why would he be going after the Pharisees? Because they were distorting the law, and they were the top spiritual leaders, so a lot of people were following them, and Jesus was going to set them straight. Yeah, and I think a big part of what Jesus is really tackling when he's addressing the issues with the Pharisees and all throughout chapter 5 is the heart attitudes behind our external actions, right? Jesus is absolutely addressing how we live our lives on the outside, but Jesus is always driving to a deeper level in um, addressing our heart, our attitudes. And, and in fact, the first 11 verses, we call them the what? Be, be attitudes, right? The characteristics, the attitudes of a citizen of the kingdom of God. And then he addresses our love for others, um, and he, he really goes at, if you think back to the previous lessons, striving for uh, obedience that comes from deep within, uh, deeper than a surface level, so that it's not just the act of adultery that's sinful, but it's even the heart of lust that gives birth to the act. Or it's not just the physical act of murder, but it's the heart of hatred and anger that Jesus has a problem with that gives birth to the actions of, of murder. And, and so the desire of, of the follower of Christ, if you look through chapter 5, is that we are really striving for righteousness and obedience in our innermost being. We are, we are seeking for God through the Holy Spirit to give us a new heart. To give us, uh, to make us that new creation, not just superficial obedience and just external good behavior, but genuine righteousness from the heart. And the verses we're looking at in the coming weeks are absolutely no different. 
absolutely no different because Jesus is not just going to address should you give to the poor or should you do good? Absolutely you should. But Jesus is going to address why. Because even good things can be done from a sinful heart of pride and from a desire to glorify yourself and draw attention to yourself. And so once again, Jesus is driving us deeper than just the external to show us as followers of his the motives, the heart, the drive behind, even our good things should be for his glory. So what if it was like you really and truly did want to help them, but part of it, part of it was pride, but you really deeply, truly wanted to help them. You only yeah. acted like you wanted to. That is, I love that question. That's probably one of the best questions I've heard in a long time because we're going to talk about it exactly because that very thing, because that's what's so hard. You know, um, I feel like anything that I do in the Christian life, if I examine it close enough, I worry about my motives. Like, it's like there's always that sinful part that you're just fighting back, but there's still like that small percentage. The most relevant example that I can think of, or just the most immediate, was one time um, they asked me to, when I was an intern at Countryside, like one of my assignments was to preach from the pulpit and it was the worst because like Tom literally Tom Pennington sits on the front row literally right there and just gazes at you taking notes and I'm like go sit with your wife like you don't need to sit there but like obviously you should never preach God's word for your glory for your own glory you should never preach God's word wanting people to think highly of you yet the whole time I'm getting up there I'm trying so hard to focus my mind on that and inevitably, it just keeps creeping back. Like, well, I hope people think I do a good job. And I'm like, I hope people, well, why didn't he tell me I did a good job? Did I not do a good Like, the, it, it's such a weird thing. So we're going to talk about that because it, it is just such an excellent point. Um, but I, what will be very clear, what's unmistakable as we go through here, is that the righteous things that we do or the deeds that we do the motives, the way we do them, the way we go about them, the purpose is drastically different from what the world's motive is. The corporations, they get behind these causes and they brag about how much their volunteers or their employees volunteer strictly for marketing and business purposes, strictly for themselves. For us as Christians, followers of Christ, it is absolutely radically different. So let's just start reading verses 6, 1 through 4, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read just these four verses, and I'm going to talk about how they kind of fit into the bigger picture of what we'll look at in the next few weeks. Um, and then we'll talk about just how this outline here breaks down. Um, so let's just read these verses we're going to focus on tonight. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So let me give you the bigger picture. If you're, if you're a note outline taker here, then um, you can write this part down if you want, but this is kind of the bigger outline for the next few weeks. 
Um, in verses 1 through 18, Jesus is going to teach this principle here of righteous deeds done out of love for him, out of wanting to glorify him, wanting to please him, and not for the purpose of pleasing ourselves, glorifying ourselves, getting praise and attention for ourselves. And there's three different areas that over the next few weeks, Jesus will um, teach this principle. And it's an overarching principle that could apply to really a lot of areas. But Jesus specifically in verses one through four, he talks about good deeds. In verses five to 15, he talks about prayer. And in verses 16 to 18, he talks about fasting. And especially when we get to the part on prayer, He's going to take us on excursions that are related to any number of things. I mean, what we should pray for, but not just our motives, but specifically what should the content of our prayer be. Um, He's going to teach us about forgiveness and his provision. There's so many things that we're going to learn from what people very commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Um, There's very many things we'll learn, but the, the kind of the launching point is Jesus talking about motives there. And the overarching theme for all these is living a life of obedience to God out of love for him and his glory and not ourselves. It always comes back to glorifying God. For us, everything we do always comes back to glorifying God. Even Remember when he talked about us being the light of the world and he talked about let your light shine before men? so that they notice your good works. But what was the purpose behind that? Why did he want us, or why does he want the world to notice our good works? For what purpose? It would glorify him. To glorify your father, yes, to glorify him. And if you're like me, when you first read read this, you think, well, that's kind of a contradictory thought, right? Like, back earlier in chapter five, Jesus is saying, hey, I don't lie to, I don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. I put it on the hill so that everybody sees it. And and seeing these good works, you glorify your Father. Um, I know this question might sound weird, sounds normal in my head, but um, is it possible to just give in secret to try to gain favor with God? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, man, you just opened up a whole thing that I wasn't even planning on talking about. Oh, jeez. Now i got to rethink my whole lesson here. I think that's a great point that needs to be addressed. That was good, because what she's saying here, all right, we're going to go off topic for a second, okay? What she's saying here is there's that incorrect thought, and I just, you know, it's a whole other lesson. If you're very interested in this, ask me, and I'll get you resources, plenty of them. But there's that incorrect thought that, by giving money to God, if I do it in secret, then kind of like Jesus is saying here, the rewards, like God will bless you physically, like financially. Like you give God a thousand, he'll send you a check for 10,000, right? Or one time, this was in work. When I got hired, I went through like this training class with 15 other people. You, this very moment, they graded, we got a test every week. In the very moment you got below an 80 for the second time, instant fired it didn't matter nothing else just boom grab your bags you're gone and so this we're in the middle of this test and i look over and this girl's got her credit card out 
And I'm like, what are you doing with your credit card? We're taking a test. She's like, I'm giving money to my church so that God will let me pass this test. She was fired the next day. So, and I'm not joking. She, 100% of that story is true. There's not a lie in that, not an exaggeration in that story. It was the middle of the time. So who failed there, right? Like, did God fail her? Did she just not have a, there's that incorrect thought. Look, that, no, you can't buy, God doesn't need your money, right? Like, you can't buy God off. Um, and we'll address that some or, here. I'll try to weave that David, in. David, was your question more like to see that if God's going to love you more type of thing? Or was it like the favor of? Yeah, like gaining favor with God, basically. Yeah, I would say that's an incorrect way of thinking and like a whole nother lesson in itself. But I'll try to weave that in a little bit because, hey, he does say your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Right. So we'll talk about that. So I think the woman just got cocky because she tied. So she was like, yeah, God will give me the test score that I need. It unfortunately didn't work out and then so she went. didn't work too hard like she didn't work hard enough because she thought that god would like make it it shows you how one way, wrong way of thinking can get you off your path on so many different ways right like that one little thing um so anyhow back here for a second uh let's see where i don't even know where we were oh yeah so jesus back in chapter five says let your light shine so that people see it right but here he's saying you know, when you get to the, like, don't go sound a trumpet, show everybody what you're doing. So is this, are these two contradictory ideas? And no, uh, what Jesus is addressing here, two different issues. Back in chapter five, Jesus is talking about the reality of life is you are going to have an influence on the people around you. That's just the reality of life. Unless you're a hermit or you live in a cave and you don't ever interact with people, you're gonna influence people and you're gonna impact their lives. Even if it's just the people, the lady cutting your hair or the people you interact with at your, on your baseball team, whatever it may be. We, we're by nature social people and we influence the people we're around. And Jesus is saying um, the way that you live around people it should be in such a way that it brings glory to God. I mean, people are going to recognize your attitudes and your behaviors. And, and uh, what Jesus is saying is, based on your attitudes and your behaviors and your actions, when people find out that you're a child of God's, it should bring, bring glory to your Father. What Jesus is addressing tonight is what we started off talking about, that sinful tendency that sinful, prideful tendency to want to glorify ourselves and make ourselves look good. Does that make sense how this isn't contradictory to what Jesus was talking about as being light to the world? Um, and so, uh, like I said, the three things he's going to tackle in verses 1 to 18, good deeds, prayer, and fasting. And tonight we're going to focus really on good deeds. So if you're taking a notes and an outline just for tonight, verse 1 is the general principle. Verse two, I'll, I'll, I'll speak slower. Verse one is the general principle. Verse two is the wrong way of doing it. Three is the right way. 
and um, verse 4 is the result. So we'll just start with verse 1 here, the general principle. Again, verse 1, just a general statement of this principle that Jesus is going to be fleshing out for us over the next 18 verses. And he gives us the example here of giving to the poor. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father who is in heaven. That, that is interesting, right? That you reward from your father in heaven. And really, so that's, that's another question, really a totally separate question is, do we earn rewards with God based on our actions here on earth? And the biblical answer to that is yes. But the place in which the Bible every time puts those rewards is in heaven, in our eternal home. Um, just so, some examples, in Matthew 25, we'll get there someday, Jesus is going to give this parable of talents, right? How um, the master gave different amounts of talents to his servants, and when he comes back, based on what they've done, how faithful they've done it, been in serving him and building up his kingdom with those talents, he rewards him them based on that. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about how um, in the end, our works will be tested and we will be awarded, rewarded by God based on the work we've done for his kingdom. First Timothy 6, 17 to 19, Paul tells Timothy, well, he tells him a lot, but he ends with uh, instruct those in his church to be rich in good works, storing up for themselves treasure in the age to come. So yes, there will be heavenly eternal rewards. We're not talking about physical prosperity here in this life necessarily. We're not talking about God, you give him $100 and he's going to give you $1,000 in return. We're not talking about being able to give God some money to get good grades or a promotion at work. Nowhere is that taught in the Bible in any way. Not at all. The Bible does teach just as general principles of wisdom that if you do wise things and you're generous with your money, like as on a wisdom level that generally leads to prosperity. But we're not talking about the health, wealth, prosperity kind of gospel thing that you hear so often taught. That is nowhere to be found. Time and time again, the Bible stresses eternal heavenly rewards. And that truth plays a big part in what Jesus is teaching here in verse 1. He says, if you do your good works to be noticed by men, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying, look, when, the, when you do something good, if your objective in doing something good is to glorify yourself and to kind of boost yourself in the eyes of others. You have no reward with God. When they are done to garner the praise of this world, you have no pleasure from God. And so what he's getting down to very clearly here is intent and motivation. 
why are you doing it? Why are you doing what you do? Is it so people will praise you and say what a great person you are? Because if, if that's the case, it's sinful pride and self-glorification. You're no longer being driven by a love for God or even a love for that other person. You're back to a love for yourself. Okay, so you've probably said this a couple of times, but I just want to ask it in like another way. So you're saying that like the emotion of pride can be can be a sin depending on whatever way it's felt, or is it, or is it just like pride in general? Um, I would hesitate to say pride in general. That's tricky because um, you're talking, you're getting down to like, okay, what do you mean by pride? But here's what I would say. <sighs> Man, it's hard to define things. Um, pride, doing things for your own benefit, for your own concern, to lift yourself up. So let me, like one example, me and my friend at work were talking about this last week because he thought it was a very strange, he asked, he's been trying to go to church, but he's like, I just, it's so hard taking my kids. Um, and it just ruins it having to take my kids because I'm wrestling with them the whole time. They're like four. And I'm like, trust me, I get that. But how much of that is sinful pride? And he's like, what do you mean? How can pride be sinful? He, it was a weird concept. And I said, well, look, when my kid is acting goofy in church, is the reason I get mad at him because I'm wondering, how is that making me look as a parent? Like, are people now thinking I'm not a very good parent because I can't keep my kid under control? That, at that point, my motivation for punishing my child has become sinful pride. Should I discipline my child 100% for their own good? They need to learn how to sit in church and listen in church and take in what the pastor's saying. Should I discipline my child because they're embarrassing me as a parent? No, that's, at that point, sinful pride. And so... Um, I would say here what Jesus is saying is, yeah, when the point, the motive behind what you're doing is you want people to think, hey, you're a pretty good kid. You're such a good Christian. You're very spiritual. At that point, that's sinful pride. Does that make sense? Sort of. That, that was a huge issue. We're, we're going to see it so much through verses 1 through 18. It's almost tempting just to read them all right now because what you're going to see come up over and over again is Jesus' concern when it comes to fasting. The problem with the fasting is people are doing it and they're making themselves look just so run down from fasting, but the only reason they're doing that and they want to look so run down is so people say, man, look at Max over here. He is a spiritual guy. He hasn't eaten in three days. What a spiritual... Max, Max doesn't care at all about prayer and growing closer to God during, during this time of practice fasting he's just glad people think he's so spiritual pride the prayer part the problem he's going to have on the prayer part with these people is they're walking around and they just want everybody to see them praying and they give these long eloquent prayers just so people will say wow look how spiritual he is has nothing to do with the love for god or having that relationship with the father that prayer is supposed to be it's just about trying to make themselves it's pride does that make sense that's the problem here. So it wouldn't be rightful to say that you take pride in your religion. Like, you are proud of your Christianity. I'm pretty proud of God. 
Like, you know, I'm prideful of, uh, I, I, I'm very proud of Christ. I'm proud to be a Christian. Um, people, if they make fun of it at work, I feel no shame. Um, you know, I don't think it's a perfect country, and there are none, but I'm proud to be an American, whatever. There's a song. I don't know. Yeah, I think you can be proud of your team. I, there's, It's difficult, right? Like, I think we might be talking about two kind of different words, maybe. Same word, but different, a little different meaning. Yeah, a lot of questions. I think that um, if you take pride in the way you lead your life to honor God, that is a righteous pride, unlike, hey, uh, I take pride in my new sports car. Yeah, it's all about who you're trying to glorify. Like, what? Who? who is... At the heart, at, at the core of your heart, who do you want to glorify and lift up? Who do you want people to say is great? You or God? Um, let's see here. Where was I here? Um, yeah, so the, he's going to apply this principle here that there's an important point I want to make sure. Y'all are doing awesome, but you're keeping me way off track on my notes here. So I want to make sure I didn't, I don't, um, yeah, we got it coming up. Okay, good. So he's going to apply this principle first to good works. Verse, uh, verse two, this is the wrong way of doing it. Verse two, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. The, the wrong way is clear here. It, that is sinful pride. They're blowing their trumpet because they want people to say, hey, look at me. It's not about look at God. It's about look at me. Um, and it's the wrong way of doing things. It's the way of the hypocrites. They want everybody to know just what they are doing. And that is exactly what we see in the world around us, right? Think back to the big check and the guy donating to the food bank. So he needs to call the news and the press and he gives them this huge check. I mean, that is like the 2020 version of living out Jesus' words in verse two, right? Okay, so let that person not have any misunderstanding. They will not be receiving um, their reward from God for that kind of self-promotion, self-glorification. And so Jesus ends with this statement, which again is pretty remarkable. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. If you live with the desire to have the world's praises, that's all you're ever going to have. If you live for the world's praises, that's all you're ever going to have. Jesus is using this here. This applies to so many things in life, though. So many aspects of the Christian life. You cannot be a faithful follower of Christ and live for the praises of this world, the praises of men. If you live for the praises of man, you've got to be prepared to lose it. Because the world is very fickle, and it just blows away. Quit stealing from my notes, Ian. That's like, You're welcome. That's like the point. You make more complex notes. Right? <laughs> Apparently. Then, as I get into my teen years, I'll start You're right. I'm going to make you too. my speech writer. Um, but, uh, 
No, yeah, Ian's point is very literally what was next up in my notes, you know? Um, living for the praises of this world, there is nothing more vain, more temporary that you could live for. It's, uh, to Ian's point, like as quickly as this world will lift you up, it'll throw you down. If what makes you is the praises of men, what are the criticisms of men going to do to you, right? What are the criticisms of men going to do to you? Destroy you. If you give people that kind of control over you, then what you've come to is, again, a self-righteous, a self-praising, a self-glorifying way of life. Hold on. I'll open it up in a second. We got a a lot of notes. Um, And so at the best, it lasts a lifetime. At best, but almost never lasts a lifetime. I mean, look at so public figure after public figure. Like one week they're a hero, and the next week they're absolute trash. Then cancel. cancel culture. There you go. That's exactly it. Yeah. It's like as soon as the, the same people who give you the platform, boom, can take it away in an instant. Up against even even if it lasts a lifetime, up against the horizon of eternity, how long is a lifetime, right? What Jesus is pointing us to here is what we see in verse 3. Verse 3, how we should do it. How we should live. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What's he saying? What, what, what's he saying there? Um, so think of like hands as two groups of people. So one is like your church and the people that you trust and like God and all of that. And the other is the rest of the world. Don't let the rest of the world in on whatever you're doing for God. Yeah. Let it be between you and God. Um, that was a good point, except the one group with the church Probably not go telling everyone at church, hey, I gave you this donation. The thing is, in my opinion, do not let your left hand know what your right is doing. Is don't even let your closest friend know what you donated for. Yeah, keep it before you go donate your life savings. Maybe talk to your wife, make sure she's (laughs) on the same page. Some wisdom there, but but yeah, that's that's exactly it, Taylor. Like, there is no need to let everyone in on what you're doing. You can just do it and walk away, and you can be happy that you did it and just pretend like you never did it. There's no reason to go boasting about it to everyone. It's exactly right. It is between you and God. It is, it is about loving that person. Can you if, you, if there's a person that you love and there's a need in their life, is it often possible to meet that need with them not even knowing where it came from? Yeah, very often, very often. Is it still loving them even if they don't know, hey, it came from you? Yeah, absolutely. You, you still met the need of that person in love, out of love. Um, it is, it is uh, 
It is very much about that. And then Jesus gives us the result here. Your reward is with God. Your reward is with God. Look at verse 4. It says, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Think back to what we talked about earlier. What, where are these rewards located? Are we talking about a new car? No. How long is a new car going to last? If you're my grandpa, 40 years. Normally, though, normally, not that long, right? Or do you want your reward to be more money? Like people who seek to serve God for earthly rewards, like that, the whole prosperity gospel, like do you really want more of this world? How long does this world last? How long does your life last? What does Ecclesiastes say about your life? It's what? A breath. A breath. A vapor. It goes like that. But when your rewards are in heaven, how long is God's kingdom going to last? Eternity. Eternity. That's the goal here, right? The praises of men. If you're lucky, a lifetime. And they're empty and vain, right? You can be praised by men, finite men, or you can be honored, rewarded by the infinite God of this universe for eternity. It's not luck, it's God's providence. Did I say luck? Yes, you did, about five times. Did I really? Oh, I did, yes, if you're lucky, if you're lucky. God's providence, luck is just men. So by God's providence, if people don't start to dislike you, no, that's a good one. I'm sorry. I say that a lot. You're right. No such thing as luck. No such thing as luck. Just like Obi-Wan Kenobi on a new hope movie, there's no such thing as luck. There you go. But apparently there is such a thing as a force, though. (laughs) There you go. It's getting really confusing. I have no idea how to evaluate tonight. Tonight has been the weirdest. I have no idea. But it's hopefully been helpful. Your youth group is like a roller coaster. Yeah. No, y'all, hopefully it's been helpful, though. Like, has it at least been clear? Like, as to the point. So when you think of applying it, what I love about this is, um, from an application standpoint, this comes up all the time. How, if you were to be honest and just open up, how often do you find yourself doing something that you should be doing, something beneficial, something good, and you struggle with this? I mean, if I'm honest, it's like almost everything, right? That's why I always say it's a constant battle. Um, so first of all, if we're gonna talk about applying this, what does this automatically entail? That you actually are doing good, right? That you actually are looking for ways to serve and to meet needs. That's kind of where I think this starts. And I think that's a very important thing for you all. As young people and as young parts of the church, young members of the church, 
Um, especially, I shouldn't say especially, but North Lake, we have a lot of needs. I mean, we're a church plant, and there's a lot of work to be done. And so it starts with taking a step back and evaluating your life and thinking, okay, Jesus almost takes for granted here that you are going to be doing good deeds. You are going to be serving him and serving other people. So stepping back and evaluating your life, how are you doing that? Like in your own life, can you think of specific ways that you um, serve other people, that you serve the church, that uh, you try to love and meet needs and glorify God. And I think there's two important ways that that happens. One important way is by actual formal ministry in the sense that I know Pastor Dusty, as we've gotten ready to go back to Lance Thompson, has mentioned several times, like even for youth, if you're interested in helping on Sunday mornings with setup and teardown or children's ministry, like talk to the people over that. Talk to Mr. Hostetler or talk to Mr. Bonish and ask like, hey, how, what do I need to do to start serving there? So I, that's one way. There should be ways within the church or within some other place where you're formally counted on to like be there at a certain time, carry out certain duties and serve. And there's opportunity, you know? There is opportunity, and um, it's just, it's so healthy. There, it's so healthy on multiple levels. First of all, it's important for the church. When you contribute to the body and you contribute to the functioning of the body, then the church is healthier, but it's also important for your own spiritual growth and um, your own maturity, just learning how to get involved and find ways to help. And so that would be one way I encourage you. The, but the second way is informal ministry. Um, I think just making sure that in your life you're open to getting to know other people and getting to know their needs. That your mind is not always centered on yourself, but your mind is centered on like, hey, how's... How's Greta doing? How's Ian doing? How's James doing? Like, what's going on in their lives? Like, when I wake up in the morning and before I get my day going, I spend some time praying. Who are specific people that I actually know well enough, know their heart, know what's going on in their lives to pray for them? And when you come here, just looking for ways to love each other. I don't know if y'all know, I think it's Mark Farmer. I always use him as a great example back at Countryside because what, what he really served in both these ways. Like he was formal ministry guy on Sunday mornings at the children's building, checking in students. He, he was like the Seth McCullough of Countryside, you know, checking in kids Sunday morning. He had his formal place, right? But like Mark was always invested in the lives of people. And even though him and I never formally served together in any type of ministry, like he was always, I felt like getting to know what was going on in my life, my heart and uh, praying for me. And I think that that's just a good example. So as you think of the words of Christ, I think first you got to look at the fact he's taking it for granted that we are looking to serve people. 
And then he takes it down to, okay, now let's work on your motives there, right? Let's work on your motives. Why do you do it? Do you do it to glorify God out of love for people, out of love for God? Or do you do it to praise yourself? Here's what I really like about the opportunities to do something in secret. And those opportunities come up. If you look for them, you're going to find out about needs that people have. If you're getting invested in the lives of the people around you, you're going to find out about needs that they have. And you know what's awesome about giving in secret where nobody else knows? I think one awesome thing goes back to what I was saying earlier, where it's really, really hard, if not impossible, perhaps, to 100% purify your motives. Like, there's always that nagging pride that always seems to come up. But when you do it in secret, it's like you kind of extinguish that in a sense. Like, there's not an opportunity for you to, like, feed that prideful fire by letting other people know. Or even, it's like, okay, that 1%, 2% of sinful pride might be there, but, hey, I'm just going to ignore it and go on, and nothing's going to feed that because nobody's even going to know I did this. Like, nobody's going to have any idea. This is purely between me and God. And it really proves your motive, you know? Like, you're going and you're like, you can have that doubt. Well, God knows. God knows. Yeah, and we're going to get to that. That's point number three here. So hold on for a second, because that's exactly point number three. But like, uh, but yeah, you, uh, it, it's, it really proves, like, your motive. You can say to God, okay, God, I struggle with this pride. I still feel this taint, tainted motive to some extent. But I can show you, Lord, that my true desire is just to love this person and glorify you. And one of the ways that I proved that out in my life is I'm just not going to tell anybody. And I'm just going to let this be between me and you. And, and here's where I'd say, that comes in the third point you strive for pure motives but just like with any aspect of the sermon on the mount you're never going to meet that standard of holiness that belongs to god alone holiness and perfection belongs to god alone and that's where the gospel and grace comes into play look this isn't the first commandment that we've come across in the sermon on the mount that's giving us a standard that in our flesh and in our humanness, we can't live up to. I mean, go back to what Alejandro closed us out with last week. Jesus said in the verse before this chapter, you are to be perfect because your Father in heaven is perfect. All right? The standard has been set at the holiness of God from the beginning. This is why we have grace. This is why we have the gospel, because Christ lived the perfect life. He lived out the perfect standard that we could never live up to, the perfect standard that God required. And by faith in him, his perfection gets credited to us. And our sinfulness is credited to him, and that sin is paid for in him. It brings us right back to the gospel, right? Um, and so, so that, that would be just kind of the, the closing out application. Make sure you're serving somehow. Make sure this doing good is a part of your life. 
Seek to purify your motives. Always be examining your motives and fighting against that pride that just kind of wells up over and over and over again. But lean on the grace of Christ for the inevitable shortcomings that we're all going to have. Any other questions? Y'all had a lot of good questions, a lot of questions tonight. Any other questions? Um, more of a comment, and I do have some more questions about it for later. Yeah. Um, it does seem a little controversial. Of one minute they're saying like that pride is really bad, and like to not really tell anyone, and that it should be, or and then like that you should just do it in secret. But then they're also saying like to somehow make it known at least to God? How do you, how do you, that seems a little controversial. Yeah, so I think you go to what he says in verse 4. The Father who sees what is done in secret rewards you. Can you hide truly anything from God? Is there any point in this universe in which God isn't? No. God, this is the omnipresent, omnipotent, Omniscient, omnipresent, omniscient. Those are like the two ones. Omnipresent means he's ever. Omni just means everywhere. It's. I don't know why they make these words up. <laughs> omni means everywhere. Omnipresent means present everywhere. Omniscient is like half omni, half science kind of shit. Half shit, omniscient, science. But that just means all knowing. The father knows. Like you don't have to tell him. Like he knows, right? And this isn't like a. Oh. I got to do everything just like ultra. That's not really the point. The bigger point is going back to the heart and the motives. And that's really what it's always about for Jesus. Coming back to the heart that seeks to love and glorify God. Um, and, uh, but yeah, we can talk about that after, right? And one other reason not to make your dealings really public is you're going to have a lot of other people come after you like you're gonna you're gonna get wrapped up bunches of people are gonna be like donate to us and then the deal you're gonna make is either you keep on giving and give and give kind of the deal is the mc hammer effect and the mob will kill you last so while i won't disagree with the point you're making i don't think that's what jesus was getting at i don't think that finds its place in its lesson tonight but point well taken uh, all right, I'm going to pray for us. Let's remember a few things. So next week we're starting small groups, so don't forget that. Um, next week we're starting small groups. Did I explain that to y'all at all? Yes. I did, but I've got some people that didn't know or weren't here. So yeah, uh, don't. I think i got to look it up again. 11, 12, and 13-year-olds and will be split from 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Guys and girls will be split, and our leaders are split. So... Uh, we'll start that next week. But uh, let's remember, clean up really, really, really good. Make this place like we've never been here. Um, put up chair. We can put up, just do like eight chairs. This is how it really was kind of set up. You guys leave your chairs there. You guys put yours around these tables. Um, and I'm going to pray for us. And uh, we'll just try to leave this place looking great, okay? Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for this day. And just for the wisdom of your teaching and just uh, that you really do care about our hearts and you know our hearts and we just thank you that spirit you live inside of us to continue to renew us and change us and give us hearts that are more faithful and loving you and being obedient to you and i just pray that 
as we go out, you'd help us to uh, really have living for your glory and out of a love for you be the highest priority for our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.